0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.05
1: on Today's Entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And tonight on the program, we'll be profiling Jamie Kerr of Fabco Custom. And we spoke to Jamie before in the program.
2: We have, and it's always a fascinating story with Jamie because we get to talk about China, the ins and outs, uh, and all the uh, not all the dirty little secrets, but certainly, you know, he spends a good half of his time there during the year. So uh, it's a it's a lot of interesting stories that will come out uh
1: but first let's chat about some entrepreneurial news of the day and uh let's uh we'll get to the gumball machine story in a second because i find that one so fun but um interesting story about uh, young entrepreneurs in the financial post how young entrepreneurs are building businesses by solving their grandparents problems um what what kind of problems uh, are we talking about it,
2: it, it's really they realize there's an aging population so solving their grandparents problems is okay now we need homes for them or or we need whatever services whatever uh, uh, elderly services are are required and it's really ensuring that there's enough demand for enough supply for all the demand that's coming out there so when you have the younger generations realizing hey it's not a bad real estate play and you know it's a great service industry and you know what people are paying for it there's certainly people are getting insured for 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 some of this that you know for longer term disability and for for elder care um uh, care with with certainly and the insurance salesmen are all over selling this. It's uh, there's there's an absolute business. So it's it's understanding the aging community, and certainly as we see in many parts of the world. But that's really what the article is about. It's about that that younger generation realizing, hey, wait a second, aging population, a whole demographic. I we think there's not enough supply for the demand that's there, and taking charge and running with it.
1: More trouble for a uh, department stores, uh, or is it trouble? Sears Canada announcing that they're selling off uh, some more real estate. Is that is that a sign that uh, that old department store may be in trouble?
2: Well, if you if you take their spin on it, well, first of all, we always think that Sears is in trouble, and sometimes I can't believe that they've been around this long. Then again, uh, they do have a ton of real estate, and they do have some a phenomenal uh, list of assets and dollars on their balance sheet, and that's that's their stores, uh, that's their warehouses, that's the locations that they've built up over decades and decades and decades selling it off to hopefully bolster their real estate, their uh, real estate, their, their retail operations. Um, I hope it's not too little too late, but it's uh, it's a lot of money for the influx, it certainly has to cover some of the holes because. Retail for Sears is not actually, not absolutely flourishing. I mean, anybody that walks into a store uh, can certainly see that. Anybody, any wholesaler that's selling to them, you know, there's always difficult times. Uh, you know, some people can get lucky because they still need some, There, there's still goods that move, but maybe not as well as they used to. And obviously selling off the real estate for dollars is is trying to help bolster their working capital and bolster their retail operations. They have a new CEO in place uh, from from uh, a year or two ago. And uh, and really, this is kind of the strategy is, okay, we need to come back into retail. There's a demand for it. At least that's what they believe. So how can we make it look better? How can they come up with the times? And I think they just haven't stayed with the times. And you know, we see, Dan, we talk about so many times uh, retailers trying to reinvent themselves, trying to create a reason why they should walk into the store. I haven't seen Sears do that in I don't know how long. Can they do it this time with the extra money from the sale of these of these, uh,
1: these uh, real estate locations? Who knows? The story of Alibaba is really is really quite incredible. Uh, this is basically the the Chinese amazon.com right so so they've uh, they had a, they invented a holiday in the last few years a singles day. And that day has become a a spending spree at, to the point where they're breaking all the records two hundred seven million dollars in one minute being spent. Um, it's uh, it's really quite incredible. Great story too, linking uh, uh, manufacturing, commerce with rural China as well. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on Alibaba and, and its success and it's 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 what it says about the about the future of of retail.
2: Well, certainly, listen, online sales have been fantastic all over the world. The fact that Alibaba is in a part of the world where you have billions of people shopping on their smartphones um, and they communicate well and they market well to to the to these people, uh, I think is absolutely tremendous. I mean, the Black Monday here, or at least in the us uh, is really no comparison when you're talking about the volume. Uh, I, I'd almost turn to to Jamie, our guest and and you know he he he's there half the year. And uh, just wondering, you know, from an Alibaba, what you see in here, uh, in in your part of the world out there?
3: Well, Alibaba, that day, uh, was actually created by some single university students in Nanjing, uh, China, in Jiangsu province. And uh, Alibaba picked up on it and said, hey, this is a great retail opportunity. You know, one, 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 singles day, that's what it's going to be. It's it's really a, a phenomenon. They sold 11 billion dollars in one day. By comparison, Black Monday was 3.67 billion dollars, and it's the or five billion the, mm-hmm. th- between three and five billion dollars, and it was the largest single retail day in United States. So they did that in eight minutes in uh, in China. So the retail sales is big for Alibaba, but it's also big for Taobao. And another, a bunch of other platforms. And if you're going to buy anything in China, no matter what it is, you go to a store to look at it, you go to a store to touch it and feel it, but you go online to buy it. And every single person, whether they're uh, expats or uh, uh, Chinese citizens, that is the, the retail environment. That's
1: exactly what you do.
2: So it's Alibaba taking advantage of what they know best in their consumer market.
1: What could retailers here learn from this kind of thing? I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it could be profitable to just invent a day sometimes, or invent invent uh, invent a reason to to uh, to have a sale.
2: Well, there, there's no question if you you know the fads that come out, uh, you know that that they jump all over it. You know the it's like a tickle me Elmo that comes out at Christmas. You know you you it's on the shelf for a few minutes and it doesn't come out. Now this is on a much larger scale because we're not talking about a few hundred people in the United States. We're talking about you know couple of billion people or a few billion people in that hemisphere, in that part of the world. Find one link that that really can attract it and everybody's shopping on their smartphones. Not everybody's shopping on their smartphones here. You have a lot. But not nearly as many as there. So when they can capitalize on that, it, it absolutely is huge.
1: The other thing that's so fascinating about Alibaba, it's it's not just consumers being exposed to different goods, but it's it's also people producing different goods, sometimes in really uh, regional, far far away places, now having access to uh, to whole new urban markets.
2: And that's right. It's in other words, who can you sell to? The whole goal when you have a product is where can I expand? Where can I show my product to? Where can it, where can it, it, it live so that anybody and everybody can buy it? Alibaba, it's a great place. Again, billions of people. Now you have to have the right logistics. You have to be able to actually ship that product. You have to be able to get into the hands of the consumer because if you can't get it there and you fall down on the job on your logistics part, well then you're not going to sell too much after that.
1: Hmm. Finally, uh, speaking about innovation, let's talk about uh, the gumball machine. <laughs> um, so that iconic gumball machine, which is actually called the Beaver Machine, I didn't know that. It's uh... Uh, I, I guess
2: it's because you used to put a nickel in there. There's a beaver. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that makes sense. We won't go for any other reason.
1: So uh, it's uh, they're they're digitizing the gumball machine. Is going to still exist, but in a bit of a new form.
2: Well, and and I think it's it's a story about being with the
1: times. It's a story about
2: reinventing yourself. It's a story about not being in the dinosaur age or realizing that you have a product that needs to evolve with the times. There's no question. People still love gumball machines, but wouldn't it be cool if they didn't have to put a, a quarter in or a token in or whatever, and they either wave a, a, a not a wand, but a card in front of it, uh, or it can track, you know, what's actually coming out, or you can see it and say, okay, I've I've had, you know, uh, eight red ones and three green. I mean, there's so much that can be done to to have fun with it even more than just all the colorful balls in one one location coming down. Just like we've seen the gumball machine, you know, the the evolution of just a, a single sphere uh, develop into, you know, you've seen these bigger ones that kind of, where the gumball, you push it, and it goes down this whole maze and loops and whatever. I mean, there's so much like that that has been done with it. Now it's, it's a question of technology and it's a question of, okay, what can we digitize? What can we, you know, the, the, what can we bling out of it? What can we have all the blinking lights so that today's the next generation, you know, the kids of today, not just the adults, certainly the kids of today with gumball machines will go to it and say, Hey, wow, lots of blinking lights. looks like so much fun. It's almost like a video game. That's where I want to put my money. So good on them for, for reinventing something that has been around forever.
1: And again, with that trend of keeping retail entertaining, right? Even if it's a really tiny retail business. A reason to go in and buy it. Absolutely. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD will chat with our guest, Jamie Kerr of FAPCO Custom, about working with China this hour. That's uh, coming up.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL for the Josh Miller with you. And this evening, a returning champion, Josh. We have uh, Jamie Kerr back from Fabco Customs. Uh, welcome back to CJD, Jamie. Thank you.
3: So,
4: we'll back.
1: first question, pretty easy. Tell us about yourself and uh, and Fabco Custom.
3: Well, uh, we are a contract manufacturer. And what that is, we make uh, OEM equipment. Uh, we are the back factory for people who are no longer making it themselves or... Uh, if the production run is too large for the factory that they currently have. So that in a nutshell, that's what it is. It doesn't really matter what the product is uh, or in what domain. Uh, we are, as a contract manufacturing company, we have our engineers and we figure it out and we build the product and ship it. Not as an agent and not as an outsourcing company. We ship it as manufacturers.
2: So So, you, you basically, you own the inventory at any given moment.
3: We take full responsibility. We own the inventory. We take full responsibility for the inventory. So it's as if the North American company is doing business with another North American company, our factories just happen to be overseas. Now they could be
2: anywhere. Are your customers mostly North America or do you have customers outside or in China?
3: I have customers uh, all over the world. I have uh, customers in Singapore. I have customers in Norway. I have uh, and I have actually, the evolution of my uh, business is that um, I was flowing business or manufacturing from China to North America and Europe and Singapore. And now uh, in the last uh, three years, we are uh, manufacturing products for people in Canada and selling it to people in China. And that's the sort of turnaround that's happening in this day and age.
2: Now, you've, you've been in China for, for many years. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I, your first trip to China was what year?
3: Uh, my very first trip was 1989.
2: Now, what maybe you can kind of describe the first trip or the second trip or kind of what attracted you to China and, and, and conducting your business there.
3: Well, the first trip, uh, I was working for a company, a Canadian uh, footwear company, and I was the assistant to my boss and, uh, my eyes were wide open and the, everybody was just busy and doing their things. In 1989, you still had, uh, if you were bringing rubber to a factory, it was pulled by an ox Hmm. or, uh, or, uh. Uh, these, uh, machines that had these, these motors, almost like a tractor. And, uh, those days are long gone now. So, uh, now you have, uh, um, railroad and, and, and automotive, uh, thoroughfares that are just like fantastic.
2: No, the infrastructure they've created is, is is second Second to to none.
3: Second to absolutely none. Mind you, they don't transport, uh. Uh, A lot of their raw material or a lot of their goods, they transport raw materials, but they don't transport a lot of soft goods from uh, north, south, east and west via rail like we do. They still do it by truck, which is interesting, but they have their rail system is just unbelievable.
2: No, and and that's what a lot of people don't realize is the infrastructure they created over the last number of years is is really second to none and really very helpful. Now, when we come back from the break, I know there's this great story, your, your first foray into servicing and finding a product for Mm. a customer here. uh, And that kind of really opened your eyes to how things work in China and and really how you had to set yourself up to make sure things run smoothly when we Mm. come back after the break. Jamie Kerr of Fabco Custom with
1: us on Today's Entrepreneur.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Back with Jamie Kerr of Fabco Custom on Today's Entrepreneur, talking about doing business particularly with China and uh, and some of the challenges there. Later on in the hour, we'll talk about tax challenges internationally as well, uh, Josh.
2: Absolutely. Uh, our partner, Nick Moraitis, will come on. But until we get there, I mean, so many fascinating stories. We can't get to them all. But uh, Jamie, I, I know there's one, actually one of your first stories. Of your first experiences in manufacturing in China, maybe a little bit of a screw up, something you had to fix. Maybe, maybe,
3: maybe, recount that story. Well, we had a contract to uh, manufacture flags for the Indianapolis 500, and uh, it's a lot of flags, and it's complicated. It's a person's face, and it was for uh, Schmirnoff Coolers, Mm -hmm. which is a specific color, and it has to be matched exactly because it's a promotional piece, and it's in a very uh premier uh, venue very visible yes. yeah very visible uh so we went back and forth with the buyer and finally agreed upon the colors it wasn't exactly right but they accepted it okay go sign off sent the sample back to the factory we received the first off of the production and all of the flags that were supposed to be this beautiful red were purple <laughs> And can't uh, quite deliver that color to. Spirol. No, you can't put that up on the up on the stands. Uh, and I had uh, two weeks to fix the problem. And at that point, I had been in China uh, previously with the the company that I was working before, but I had never gone back. So I had to get a visa, get on a plane, and get to China, find a factory to remake all of these flags and fix the problem or uh, it was it was over. And I had a two-week period to do it, and that's what really uh, started me going in China because we fixed the problem, we found the factory, we remade everything, we flew it to Indianapolis, they had them all installed in time for the race, and everything was fine. But at that point, I realized that anything can be done as long as you were there to do it.
2: There's the key, right? The key is boots on the ground in their face, you always hear about the quality control, quality assurance, would you say that was your almost biggest lesson from that?
3: That was the, I have never swayed from that lesson. And that was 15 years ago. So for the last 15 years, I have always gone to check my own. It's my goods. It's my money. It's my production. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for it. My customers come to me. They don't care where I make it. They just care what I deliver. So to make it right, I have to be there to make it right.
2: Now, finding the factory uh, 15 years ago versus today, how has it gotten easier? Is it still complicated? There's still some due diligence involved?
3: I would like to say that it is uh, so simple now, but there's still no such thing as a directory. There's no yellow pages. There's no, everything is done through a network of who you know, your Guangxi. So your network of who you know and who you've done business with and who you're going to do business with and who you're friends with. Because as always, if you're not friends with the people, as opposed to here, where you don't want to be friends with your business people, there you have to be friends with your business people or they won't do business with you. And really, you shouldn't do business with them.
2: It's really, as you said, Guan Chi, it's really there's got to be a trust developed at some point before there's a dollar exchanged.
3: Absolutely. And a big trust because you're entrusting them with your livelihood and your product and your money. So uh, you, you, you really have to put your faith in what it is that they're doing.
2: Does it take long to establish?
3: It depends on how nice the people are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the fact that you're physically there obviously makes it easier than if you were in North America trying to establish that same relationship.
3: When I started to actually speak Chinese instead of just English and French, uh, life changed. Um, because, uh, then you listen to what everybody's talking about at the table where before I was a, like a blind man and I couldn't see anything my eyes were opened and I could hear and understand what everybody was saying to each other.
2: Excellent. I know when we come back there's so much other I mean talk about having employees over there. Uh, I believe you 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 start you 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 have you work with a partner. So uh, lots of things to talk about when we
1: come back. Talking about opportunities in China with Jamie Kerr of Fapco
0: Custom. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: on Today's Entrepreneur. Welcome back. This is a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL for Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Jamie Kerr of FAPCO Custom. I'm back on Today's Entrepreneur to talk about uh, dealing with China, which you've been doing for uh, 15, 20 years now, Jamie? Uh,
3: 15 years of my own business. Hmm. And uh, longer working for other people,
1: and now speaking the language too, which yeah, is yeah, which is. Yeah. Uh, have you? Did you have uh, any moments where you thought that uh, uh, that provided you with a uh, a pretty clear competitive advantage?
3: Uh, many moments, you know, uh, when you uh, can uh, you when you don't reveal that you speak the language and you understand what everybody's talking about, there are no longer any secrets, so uh, you can. Um, uh, sit around a table and if it's a, a, a shady supplier or uh, or and they're trying to deal uh, between themselves and saying, okay, well, let's see if we can up the price with this guy and he doesn't know any different, and you understand everything that they say, uh, it provides a, a definite advantage. Do you still use that advantage today? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never give that one up. That's a, a really handy... Uh, Handy thing to have.
2: Now, you're not in this business alone. You did you did take on a partner a little while back. Um, why? Like, what's the importance of having a partner?
3: Well, uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, the road to success is the guy that realizes what they can't do. You always know what you can do. And uh, also, as an entrepreneur, you you're always there for the next gig or the next job or whatever you're going to do next. But it's the realization of what I can't do. So uh, I took on, uh, well, I didn't take on a partner. I, I, I married myself with the mm-hmm. partner and uh, they are uh, a financial whiz, uh, which is not my strengths. Administration and finance is not my strength. My strength is engineering and manufacturing. So uh, these are things that now I don't have to worry about. So I'm not clouded with having to worry about all the invoicing and the, the receivables and payables and taxes and this and that and, and all that. I can concentrate fully on what I do best, which is producing uh, high quality product in a place that's, you know very far away, you know so it's 10,000 kilometers away and, and I'm, I'm producing the goods as if they were right next door. to do that. I need to concentrate on what I do.
2: And, and of course, again, you know, 10,000 miles away, it's product, it's it's customers, it's suppliers in China. Uh, did cash flow issues ever come into play? Like, or you, of the course. The management of cash flow certainly has it's to come the, into play. It's
3: more the management of cash flow because uh, a lot of companies uh, work with uh, deposit and, and production the same way that most companies in China work. You have to sort of follow the same rules. Uh, but it's it's uh, the management of your cash flow that's the r- real tricky part and how to keep the, the – the, as an entrepreneur, uh, in the beginning, I, I wasn't as – I didn't go to school to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Nobody does. So um, I always thought, oh, well, I'll let my tax bill go to the end of the year and figure out how much I have to pay, and that is the, the, a disaster. Uh, you need to pay as you go. All the way along, and if you pay as you go, and this is part of the management that that a financial person brings to you. So, uh, as an entrepreneur, that's an engineer. I don't think about those things. I think about the my my structure, and I think about my tensile strengths, and I think about my 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 product of how it's going to be, and the logistics and how it's going to get to the customer on time. I don't think about you know I need to retain this to pay it later.
2: Let's let's switch gears a little bit. Human resources. People, employees here, in North America, employees in China, there's definitely different dealings with them. Uh, and I'm not talking about the compliance issues of filing tax papers and all that. It's just the, the the human side of it, the management side of it. Maybe you can kind of describe or maybe pick a, a difference or two between here and there. Something well, you had to
3: learn. Um, it depends on the level of employee that you have. If you have a, a, a the guy that works on the floor, He's still, you're uh, like a a parent Um, in, uh, you know, we have an assembly factory now and we use uh, subcontractors. So um, my assembly guys, uh, I'm their parent. I provide them their livings, but I also have to provide them sometimes moral guidance and I Mm -hmm. have to provide them all their food and I have to provide them a place to sleep or transportation to and from their home. Uh, You know, there's many things that you don't have to do when you're in North America with, you know, here you provide a paycheck and everybody takes care of themselves Mm -hmm. and you provide a nice clean working environment. There you have to provide and especially with the competition now, not everybody wants to work in whatever factory that you have. So you have to vie for the worker to come and work for you rather than somebody else.
2: You really have to offer some incentives.
3: Absolutely. Whether the incentive is, a uh, you know, what we would call a pizza day and there it's not pizza, but, Mm -hmm. uh, or, or something like this to make the environment, uh, friendly. You know, uh, the guys that do this really well are, uh, even though Foxconn has been slammed for, uh, uh, the way that they, um, uh, their employees have sort of reacted over mm-hmm, the last couple mm-hmm. of years. But you have to uh, remember there's 1.2 million employees. So out of 1.2 million employees, you're going to have some people that have some issues. But they have their own hospitals. They have their own police force. They have their own concessionaires, everything. That's what you have to do. So, with, with with on a smaller scale, for of me. course.
2: Now, for for you, you mentioned competition and vying to, you know, for talents, which certainly in North America there's always a struggle for talent. Are you saying that in China too, it's tough
3: to find talent these days? Uh, it's it's tough to find talent, and because the mig- and to keep it, of course. Well, always to keep it, but the migration of uh, of workers from the the rural parts of China has slowed. So to get the guy to uh, work on your factory floor is as hard or almost harder than it is to get an engineer. It's easier to get an engineer because there's lots of them in school and they're very talented and very smart guys. And, Mind they're, you, and they're mobile. And they're mobile and they can come to wherever it is that you're going to be. But get the worker on the floor. That's at this day and age is a little more, a little more difficult.
2: Now, cost of labor, you know, everybody, you know, has heard over many years and you've been, you've been there since 1989 cost of labor, uh, always cheap in China, but certainly not as cheap today as it used to be. No. So, well, for uh, a so lot of the reason- evolution of those, co- the cost of labor.
3: Well, the, the, the cost of labor is the minimum wage in China is, uh, f- uh 14 RMB an hour. So uh, 14 RMB an hour is like $3 an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so your factory cost for your labor is around $5 an hour. So you can plan that is what it is, multiplied by the amount of people having to do it.
2: It's quite an increase from the last 15, 20 years. Well, it's
3: an increase because the if you if it's, that's the RMB cost, but the American dollar cost or Canadian dollar cost has changed because that's changed by 20% due to the exchange. So that's an even bigger cost increase. So it makes it, uh, you have to be very good at your producing your product and, and have no mistakes and no returns. And and the, the most for the, for the most part, everybody understands that in China these days.
2: Now, just quickly as, as we get to, to, but just before the next break, we have a few seconds, pricing. Pricing over the years, did you find it a struggle? What's been your strategy to price your product, certainly given all the moving parts in China?
3: Well, uh, I always price my product completely in Chinese dollars and and never change from that. So I price it so I have a fixed rate of what my product will cost uh, on the Chinese market. And then I'll fluctuate with the exchange or i build a buffer with the exchange. Um, but it's always a fixed cost in Chinese dollars. And that's uh, the safest way to go.
2: Excellent. Uh, I know there, there's so much we can talk about, and I'm sure you have tons of stories that you you can and cannot tell. But it's uh, great, great so far, Jamie. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll uh, we'll chat a little bit more right after this.
1: And uh, Jamie's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. Nick Maredes will join us next, tax partner at Fuller Landau, on uh, some tax challenges when you're dealing internationally.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people: Dan Delmar and F. L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, and Jamie Kerr, our profile tonight of Fabco Custom. We'll have Jamie's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. Uh, but first, Nick Morada's tax partner at uh, Fuller Landau on uh, some international tax challenges. And I guess uh, this can get complicated when you do business overseas.
2: Uh, you know, Dan, you're you're selling overseas, you're buying from overseas, you're you you know maybe you're setting up a structure, a company, or a subsidiary, or there's a parent uh, overseas. Uh, lots of things to consider so Nick I guess as you you stare at your list of things to mention what would be uh, the top uh, one two three on your list
4: everything is but uh, as jamie was mentioning uh, when you're a Canadian entrepreneur uh, obviously exporting and uh, is is a, is a big part of your growth strategy um, and if you're if you're getting into start working with other countries you have to uh, realize that those other countries have taxes and they have laws and they have regulations that we are now subject to and we've fallen into their orbit and uh, what you're really looking to do is if you're looking to set up shop either as, a, as an office uh, to sell or you're looking to set up uh, uh, for the, the, the supply chain part of it, um, you're, you really have to find out, well, what does the country expect of you as being a non-resident, a non-local to, to deal with the taxes there? And we have all sorts of taxes, not just the income taxes. There could be the sales taxes. It could be an asset-based tax. It could be a sales-based tax. Um, there, there's withholding, withholding taxes, there's payroll taxes, there's licenses and, 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 uh, that you may require that you need to validate and verify once you get into it. Uh, uh, many times, many companies don't bother doing this, figuring uh, we'll just go in, make a couple of sales and leave. Um, well, you do that once, you do that twice and you sort of forget and then the country sort of catches up with you and say, hey, you're doing business in my country. Where's our taxes? And you haven't, and well then you're into a fund funding games.
2: It's it's not just Quebec that has all these taxes, it's certainly worldwide. Absolutely. So when but when people, you know, you always hear the story you say, okay, Quebec has the highest tax, you know, let's find a different jurisdiction. Maybe my business can operate, uh, whether it's Hong Kong or whether it's New Zealand or whether it's Australia or or somewhere in Europe. Um, but it's all it's it's not necessarily that easy and it's not necessarily that much cheaper once you take into account All the taxes that come into play.
4: That's right. You really, many times we focus on the income tax, the tax on profits. Uh, But profits is, uh, as, as Josh, as you know, as an accountant, profits can mean a lot of things. It could be a lot of numbers. Um, and and the tax rates as well could be uh, are, are uh, could be very different numbers. So you can you can turn around and say I have a twenty percent tax rate, but there might be all all these other taxes that are attached to say your payroll or to your to your purchase of uh, purchases of assets or that that really move your tax rate much much higher. Or just the definition of profit. You have to get into the country's definition of what is a profit that we're going to tax. It, it might you may think you made a buck, but the country says, "Well, no, we really look at it as two bucks. Now, pay your tax on that." But once you, once a Canadian entrepreneur is getting into these other countries, Canada has a network of tax conventions with the most industrial countries. Uh, there's not that many that we don't have these agreements, and these agreements basically say, notwithstanding our various laws you will only tax my resident company when this and this happens and therefore and by establishing these rules we basically look to avoid having say china decide we want to tax you on everything and having canada say but yeah but we're going to tax you on the same stuff it's double tax and that is something that becomes very important.
2: And there's no question, I mean, and then then these agreements, these treaties, these conventions are really not thin and easy to read. There There's lots into them. And when we come back after the break, we'll, we'll chat a little bit more about some of these challenges of, of having that international corporate
1: structure. And Jamie Kerr's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur that's coming up.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. This evening, Jamie Kerr of FAPCO Custom will have his one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur in a moment. But first, uh, final thoughts from Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau, on uh, some of those international tax challenges.
2: And there, there's no doubt. You know, you're creating. If you start creating a structure, you you know, you have other companies, whether it's subsidiary or sister company or something. There's always a couple of things for me that come to mind. One is mind and management. Where where is the direction really coming from? Is it local? Is it from afar? And 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 how does that affect the, I guess, the tax base. So I guess my, my first question to you, Nick, is mind and management, how much of a role does that play?
4: Uh, a big one. Uh, unless your treaty, uh, like our treaty with uh, the US, basically says that uh, if the company was incorporated in our country, well, then it's, it's, our, it's, it's for us to tax, never mind where your mind and management is. Mind and management is who's really leading the company, who's doing the strategic decisions. Who's pulling the strings. That's right. And that dictates... Where is the company a resident of? So if you do set up a, say, a a Chinese company, um, or let's say it was in Hong Kong, where I know with the treaty in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. that is an issue. So you you set up a Hong Kong company, but every single decision and the strategic decisions, who pays the dividend, are we acquiring companies, are we selling companies, is done here in Montreal, in Montreal. That company will be viewed under the treaty as a resident of of, uh, of Canada, and Canada will tax those profits under under our treaty. So that, that that does become something very important. The other thing which I'm going to throw in, you don't see it as much in the uh, mid-sized market, the, the the entrepreneur market. Obviously, as you see it a lot more in the multinationals, is when you start creating these companies all over the world to do different things, you get into some the sensitive uh, issue of transfer pricing. What does uh, the company in China, say, going to charge the Canadian company for the good that it's making for it? And then what's the Canadian company going to charge to the ultimate client? Obviously, if you can play around with those prices, different countries get different amounts of uh, of, of taxes based upon those profits. That is probably the biggest issue that's happening, uh, I think even under the G20. That's mm-hmm. one of their um, uh, discussion points is how do we stop um, where I think in, in the UK where you saw uh, Apple – uh, or, or uh, no, the, um, the coffee um, the retailer, uh, not pay any tax in the UK for years, although their stores are all over the place. I, f- I forgot the name now. It's Starbucks. It's, uh, Starbucks, thank you very much. And it turns out that the way they structured their, their, their operations allows their profits to be earned in in uh, in tax havens, and which is perfectly legal, very and, and perfectly economically sound. But countries are now starting to react to that, and and that is something that you have to look at when you're when you're expanding internationally.
2: All, always something to look at. As we come to our last moments of the show, we'll we'll turn to Jamie Kerr and, and from Fabco, Fabco Custom, and, and ask you, Jamie, what would be your piece of advice for today's entrepreneur?
3: Always take care of your own business. Always be there to take care of your own business, Whether mostly when you're overseas. And if you're not boots on the ground, your face in your own product, it's going to fail. So you don't want to fail.
2: Excellent. Thank you. And and my quick uh, takeaway, Dan, and, and first of all, I, I wish we could listen to far more stories in China. I know I've lived some of them as well going as I go next week. Um, but also it's uh, Jamie knows what he knows and he understands what he doesn't know. And uh, and he, he brought in a partner, he brought him some help to realize and do the
1: things uh, that that he doesn't do so well by somebody else. Thanks very much, Josh. Uh, thanks to Jamie Curra of Fabco Custom and Nick Moradas at Full Orlando for stopping by, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you next week, Monday nights at 7 here for today's Entrepreneur on CJAD.